We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. For almost three decades, the St. Louis-based organization Prison Performing Arts has been bringing theater into prisons with productions designed as a means of preparing inmates for life after incarceration. Collaborating with the State Ensemble Theater as part of a new plays initiative, Prison Performing Arts is presenting a specially commissioned production in St. Louis titled Run On Sentence. Playwright Stacy Lentz tracks one day in the lives of incarcerated women at the Correctional Center in Vandalia, Missouri. Joining me in studio to discuss it all are Christopher Limber, Director of Adult Prison Programs with Prison Performing Arts, Rachel Tibbetts is the Artistic Director with the State Ensemble Theater and Director of the State's production of Run On Sentence. Stacey Lentz is the playwright. Thank you all so much for being with us. Great to have you. Thank you for having us. Chris, let me start with you and just kind of give us an overview and, and remind people of what Prison Performing Arts is all about. Prison Performing Arts, which was founded by Agnes Wilcox um, almost 28 years ago, provides um, art and literacy programs in three different prisons uh, in Missouri and uh, also a wide range of artistic programs in youth centers all over St. Louis. And um, all of those programs help um, uh, incarcerated and detained individuals prepare for life um, after prison. And the the new initiative that you're working on right now with regard to specially commissioned plays? We um, decided to um, get some help from some nationally known playwrights to go into each of the three uh, prisons that we um, work in to develop a new play based on a workshop that we would have with our um, uh, incarcerated participants. And um, Run On Sentence is the first example of that. All right. And what is Sate's role in all of this? So um, SAIT, uh, formerly known as Slightly Askew Theater Ensemble, we've been producing theater here in St. Louis since 2006. We were founded by uh, Margot Steinau, who's actually in our production of Run On Sentence. Um, I also work with Prison Performing Arts. I've been there since 2005. So when Chris was talking about the New Plays Initiative and looking at theaters that he thought would be um, good collaborators for the the project, he immediately thought of Sate. We do have a commitment to um, telling stories um, that focus on women, and this one certainly does that. And Stacey Lentz, you got involved in this, uh, obviously, and tell us about that involvement and how that came to be. Well, interestingly, Chris and I know each other from way back. I uh, grew up in St. Louis, and I worked with Chris as an actor when I was much younger. And uh, fast forward uh, several decades, I won't say uh, exactly how long, (laughs) Um, and um, I got an email out of the blue from Chris who said um, that he knew of my plays, and he thought that I would be um, a good partner. Um, I tend to write plays that are um, socially conscious. I'm interested in telling the stories of um, marginalized groups, of women, um, and I'm interested in um, 
the idea that people that we as a, a culture think of as antagonists have a story to tell that makes them protagonists, that makes them the heroes in their own story. So he sent me this email and explained uh, the commission and the project, and I said, sign me up. Where, where, when can I come? Um, so on a sabbatical from Fairleigh Dickinson University, which is where I teach um, my amazing students, I, um, I came and I essentially got a master class from these incredible women in Vandalia um, on prison life, on their own experiences, on their points of view, and um, specifically on the idea that um, there is one thing that separates um, them from those of us who don't live in prison, which is being defined by one mistake that you made. I want to get into more detail with that, but I'll go back to Chris with regard to setting up something like this. You just don't wander into a prison and say, <laughs> we, we want to talk to some folks and then do a play. Right. What's involved in, in, in arranging this kind of thing? Well, there's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of phone calling. Uh, the prisons that we work in, uh, the, the three prisons are all very different from each other, mm-hmm. and they all have their, their own procedure in terms of um, how people and equipment is brought into the prison and taken out. Uh, but it's just a matter of um, talking with the warden and their staff, uh, having a, a calendar way up front, making all the phone mm-hmm. calls, submitting all the papers, and then being on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure it's uh, very rigidly controlled in, in that regard. It is. Now, the, the play was performed in the prison also by prisoners, correct? Yes. That's, that, that's kind of the nature of the New Plays Initiative is to um, write, uh, get a new play written uh, based on the experience uh, of the um, uh, folks that we work with, perform that in the prison first, and we do that for the incarcerated population and also for public audiences that come to see our shows, mm-hmm. and then to make sure that we can collaborate with a professional theater in St. Louis so we widen our audience base. Mm-hmm. It's been um, – it, it's kind of hard to get people to come to a prison to, uh, to see a show. Yeah. Maybe 200 people come to see our shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this way, a wide range of audiences get to see these stories and get to uh, experience the play professionally produced. Rachel, did you get to see the the play in prison performed by prisoners? I certainly did. And how yes. does that inform the way you uh, approach directing the play? Um, oh, that's a great question. So, uh, I mean, I've... Um, one of the interesting things was that some of our actors actually got to see one of the in-prison performances, and we were able to actually attend one of the um, the inmate audience performances, which are very unique and exciting. But one thing that we talked on early on was that this was definitely our production and that, you know, Stacy has made it very clear that why th- this story is very influenced by the women at Vandalia, that it is a piece of fiction. So we really approached the process that way. And just um, I encourage the actors to create their own voices and their own characters um, as as much as possible, you know, still honoring all of the women that um, that we um, 
that created the story and that we were able to see perform the story. Stacy, how close are the performances by actors to the the real thing, the, the real people? Well, full disclosure, tonight will be my first time seeing the professional production. Ah. Uh, I, ju- I live in New York and I just flew in. Right. Um, I have had the good fortune to see this play. This will be my third production of the play. I saw the play um, at Fairleigh Dickinson University performed by students. I saw the play at Vandalia performed by um, the women who inspired it, and it was then performed a second time at Vandalia, uh, commissioned by Concordance Academy, and um, now I'll see this professional production. So, um, you know, it's true that the play is fiction. It is. It's not biographical. It doesn't tell the story of one specific woman, but but instead, it's the imprint of these um, points of view and experiences of these women, and. Um, they changed my life. One thing that that I hope is in this play with all of my might is how funny these women are who are in a very difficult situation, um, and yet they bring this unique, amazing sense of humor that I think is not always represented when we talk about prison populations or when we um, you know, see them represented in the media. They are hilarious, and they um, really gave me this new perspective on, um, you know— rehabilitation and rehabilitation through humor. And um, I I hope that's in the play. If you wouldn't mind, I'll I'll just tell you one quick anecdote, which is that when I was working with the women, uh, one day, actually on a break, we were chatting, and they were telling me about um, the difficulty of... um, dealing with, uh, you know, everyday commodities in prison. And they said, specifically, it's really tough um, when you're wanting to curl your hair. And I said, well, what do you do? And they said, well, we have no curling irons. We have no, you know, we have none of the stuff that you're used to. So what we do is we take prison-issued maxi pads, and we curl them into curlers, and we put them in our hair. And I said, oh, my God, you have to show me. So the next day, they brought them in, and they gave me, you know, a cosmetology lesson on <laughs> maxi pads as curlers. And I said, that would make the best stage business. And I put it in the play, and it's in the play. And it is one of audience's favorite bits in Run on Sentence. And I, I'd like, love to mention that the, the rollers that we use in our production were actually the rollers that were used in the in-prison performances. They they um, gifted them to us. <laughs> <laughs> How nice of them. <laughs> Chris, over time, you've been associated with this for uh, for a while. What sort of changes have you seen in, in prisoners as they become involved, not only in being interviewed, but in performing? And uh, it must have some significant impact on their lives, if only changing the routine. Uh, doing a play is one of the great, um, great ways to uh, learn to be an ensemble, to learn to learn how to trust, uh, how to problem solve, um, and how to bring your own voice forward. I see that affect the men and women that I work with profoundly. And uh, um, I keep saying if only Congress would do a play, <laughs> I, I think we'd all, be, we'd all be in much better shape because people really learn how to work together. They learn how to uh, represent themselves. Uh, they learn how to problem solve uh, nonviolently. Um, and they get to deal with wonderful literature. Yeah, a lot of what you've done in the past is Shakespearean, right? Do a lot of Shakespeare, um, classical plays, uh, also modern American classics. We also do some writing. Uh, the, the men at Pacific uh, write a lot of their own productions, which is um, fantastic. We also do a spoken word um, class. We're starting that at Pacific. Uh, we've been doing that at Vandalia for many years now, mm-hmm. poetry, short stories, that type of thing. 
Stacy, what sort of changes did you see in working with these women as they became more involved in this whole process? Um, <clears throat> I think what was most amazing to me was the their willingness to trust me. Um, and Which uh, took 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. a little more than 10 minutes. Yeah. But there was this unbelievable generosity. Um, you know, I've been doing uh, theater for a long time, and um, – I would say that this was probably the most giving ensemble that I've I've ever worked with. They were so eager to um contribute anything that they could contribute. I mean, they they gave me access to private information, to private paperwork, to they worked so hard outside of um, even the hours that we were meeting together. And I asked them at one point, you know, what, where does this come from? Because if I could bottle this, you know, um, as a playwright, as an educator, as a theater person, and they said to have someone here, to have people here who care about our stories, um, that is what we're getting that we don't usually get. So I think the change I saw in them was the the light that comes, the revelation that comes when you know someone cares. Um, and what that brought out in them was enormous intellect, enormous um, caretaking of each other, caretaking of me. I'm honest you, with you when I tell you I consider these women my friends. I, I just went to visit them yesterday, not for any, you know, we didn't have any work to do. We just went and hung out at the prison um, for four hours or so because I wanted to catch up on their lives and their cases. And they were asked, my husband came with me because he's heard so much about them and he wanted to meet them. Um, so that's what I would say. I would say the change was the change of commitment and um, opening up when you know someone cares about you. I want to come back to that, but uh, turn to Rachel here. What kinds of changes you've seen with your involvement with the organization? What kind of changes have you seen in, in the prisoners? Oh, um, well, I also work with our young people as well. That's kind of my primary role at Prison Performing Arts. And I, I think Ju it's... Juvenile offenders, yes, is that what you mean? Yes, okay. yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, we're in um, several local area uh, juvenile centers, kind of at various places um, within the juvenile justice system as well. And I think it's really what Stacy talked about is that it's really important for people who have been marginalized and who feel that nobody has really listened to them or cared about their stories to be given a vehicle to do that. And I think engagement in the arts is one of the best ways to, um, to provide that. Um, I, you know, I see uh, a young person in particular, we do a project at the St. Louis City Juvenile Detention Center every year, our hip hop poetry project. Mm -hmm. And in less than a week, we create content for a show that we ask them to perform in. And in most instances, it's their first time performing in front of a live mm -hmm. audience ever. And I have seen young people who, before we walk into the gymnasium, like we start the show at 7 and at 6.55, will say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to read my, my poem. <laughs> yeah. And then they walk in that gym and usually the audience stands up on its feet, even before the performance begins. And then that young person becomes the most alive performer that I've ever seen in my life. So, yeah, I, I, it's in, to me, the real draw of this particular work is the, is the idea of community. It creates community. Um, it builds bridges 
for people that usually aren't kind of building community together. And I think that it's a that's a very unique, powerful thing that the work does. Stacey, give us a little more uh, uh, idea then of what the story of the play is about. Sure. Um, so the story of the play, sort of in a nutshell, is the story of a group of women who live together. They, they live in the same cell. Um, and I should say that um, in, in prisons, it, that's a lot of people in a very small space. Um, and it's uh, a, a period of time, a couple of days, over which um, a new celly, a new, a new roommate comes in and disrupts the kind of hierarchy, the friendships, the order in the prison. Um, and it's about how all these relationships get shaken up. And about how, um, you know, this one new element, this one new presence um, changes the futures of of all these women. Um, And also about how they start to think of themselves differently. Um, As with most of my plays, there's – Chris says a double twist in this one. (laughs) Um, But really for me, the play is about – family and about um hope you know what is what is the definition of hope and um uh is hope a fair thing to have in for example um you know a life sentence or a 50 year sentence which is a life sentence in yeah. The, in, yeah. in most cases yeah. you use the term selly i suppose in a situation like this you do have to learn a new jargon this oh i'm so glad you said that yeah. i you know one of the things that was mind-blowing and amazing, and I recommend it to anyone, although without, uh, you know, Chris's and PPA's connections, I'm not sure you could do this, is to take a class in prison language. Um, I had the most revelatory time just sitting around with with these women um, and learning uh, what things mean in prison because the language is so creative and so specific. And it was like a, you know, a, a doctoral level class in linguistics. One of my favorite examples of this, this actually is not in the play, but um, they use the word cupcaking to, to mean fooling around. Mm-hmm. And um, I took that back to my college students and I said, this is a better term than the things you guys use. I would like to introduce this here on our campus. <laughs> And the reaction to that was? <laughs> they loved it. They loved it. Your uh, students were also in touch with the women in Venezuela. Yes. I mean, talk, when we talk about generosity, I, I, I should say that the generosity from this group of women that I work with extended beyond, you know, their ensemble. Um, they were really, really excited to hear about the cast at FDU, at Fairleigh Dickinson, um, that was doing the play. And one of the, the neat kind of side effects is that my cast at FDU was so invested in the women who had, you know, originated the parts. So what they did is they, they we sort of, Chris and I worked out a pen pal arrangement where they woke, wrote back and forth to each other in character. Um, and also the Vandalia women created this kind of manual for the FDU students to explain some things about prison for them. And as with the SAIT production, we used a prop on stage that came directly from the Vandalia women. We used a um, a knitted rat. Um, you'll have to see the play to know why there's a knitted rat on stage. <laughs> but 
Chris, is there any uh, opportunity for a prison performing arts to follow up with some of these people after they have been released from prison to yes. see how this all affected them uh, overall? One of our ongoing um, programs is an alumni company uh, where um, re- uh, returning citizens get a chance to continue their, their acting uh, in productions, uh, some of which they write, some of which uh, are Shakespeare, that we perform all over St. Louis. Um, This coming year, we've been commissioned by the St. Louis Public Library to create a new play about uh, incarcerated parents and how they keep uh, the ties with their children when they're in prison. And we'll perform that at the main public library and then several libraries. So so that's an ongoing program. And uh, we, we, we keep in touch with uh, uh, many of the um, uh, people when they are um, set free. So. What, what do they tell you? Well, I know that those that are in the alumni company find the um, – continuation of the acting process and being part of a company very reassuring, uh, uh, very community building for them and very supportive. It's not hard to re- – uh, it's, it's not easy to reenter. Um, there are lots of challenges and uh, it's good to have a uh, cadre of friends that you can count on. Mm-hmm. Stacy, aside from the, uh, the hair curling uh, <laughs> information that you imparted a little while ago, what other kinds of things do these women tell you? Obviously, don't breach any confidentiality, but some of their stories, what are some of the things that have touched you that they've told you? Um, well, they were um, surprisingly open um, all the women that I worked with, um, although I'm not sure they, they knew that they would do this at the beginning, ended up disclosing their entire stories. Um, so from their crimes to their sentences to their um, attempts to secure parole, um, they were incredibly honest. One of the things that impressed me the most is that uh, to a person, they took uh, responsibility for ownership of their crimes. You know, this is not a group of women who is um, sort of asking for pity or saying this right. was not my fault. We're innocent or right, exactly. Um, I did ask Chris selected Chris and, and PPA and Rachel hand selected this group of women for me. The only thing that I asked for was diversity. I wanted diversity, ethnic diversity, age diversity, and diversity of crime. And we had we really had that. We had a range of ages from twenty. Five mm-hmm. to uh, 67, 67. Um, and the, there was a range of crimes. So I, um, I won't disclose anything if you don't mind, but we had um, embezzling, homicide, um, assault, you know, just really – and many of them are very serious crimes that carry with them life sentences. You know, the, I think the shortest sentence of any of the women we were working with was five to seven years, and the longest sentence was life without mm-hmm. parole. Um, so one of the things we talked about, I actually had a very frank conversation with them one day where I said, tell me the hierarchy of crimes in prison. What What is the sort of f- crime that is frowned upon the most? Um, tell me what your points of view are of other crimes of prisoners here. Tell me the things that you worry about the most. One of the things they spoke to was um, how they worry about prisoners who are not um, – who are mentally disabled um, and how they try to take care of each other in that way. Um, They spoke about, um, you know, their fears and um, uh, concerns about confronting or meeting with or apologizing to their victims at their parole hearings and how seriously they take that. Um, So they were really honest about it. 
And again, they're also really funny. One of the ways they cope is by teasing each other. They pull each other out of sadness and depression by making jokes. And they, I make jokes with them. At one point, we were talking about something silly, like a food we didn't like or something. And I said, well, I wouldn't eat that if you put a gun to my head. And then everybody kind of looked and I said, I guess this is not the place to be saying that. <laughs> our, our time is winding down very quickly. Rachel, what, what challenges does this kind of a thing present to you as a director? I would say the you know the biggest challenge is just trying to find um, um, not just to to ensure that we are being as honest as we can in the storytelling. So um, my colleague Ellie Schwedy, who's the co-producer at State with me, we're really committed to that um, to that principle. And you know, with this piece in particular, because um, I know so many of the women that were involved in the process, you know, I just I really hope and um, I I think that we did accomplish the honesty in the piece. And in the story. Right. Let me turn to you, Chris, very quickly. Uh, people can see it tonight, correct? Yes. All right. Tell yeah. us where and what time. Well, tonight is sold out. It's a PPA uh, special event. Uh, Rachel, there are two more performances. Yes. Um, we have um, tickets available on for our Saturday and Sunday night performances. Sunday night is actually pay what you can. And, and where is the where is the performance? We are at the chapel um, in Clayton, sixty two thirty eight Alexander. We'll put all of that on our website. Excellent. We have to run now, but that information <laughs> will be out there for you. Christopher Limber, thank you for being with us. Stacey Lance, a pleasure to meet you. And uh, Rachel Tibbetts, thank you all so much. Thank, thank you, you so much for having us. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org. St. Louis on the Air, produced by Alex Hoyer, Evie Hemphill, Lara Hamden, production assistance from Aaron Dorr, Charlie McDonald, and Caitlin Lally. Executive producers, Mary Edwards. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh. Thank you.